The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 121 of the podcast where you're joining us here on YouTube. Today is Sunday, December 30th, day before New Year's Eve. So this is it. This is the last episode of 2018. I hope you guys have enjoyed everything we've done in the last year. And, um, you know, next week it'll be a new year, same MMA on the Rocks. So there's no new year new me bullshit going on around here you guys know what you're getting when you tune into this show you're getting myself and you're getting my trusty co-host all the way from new jersey jeff the animal wilson jeff how you feeling on this sunday afternoon my friend i don't know bill i don't don't know anything anymore bill (laughs) are you gonna make it I don't know, Bill. I might have to retire after this one. The <laughs> <laughs> final show for the animal. What's going on, Jeff? You want to tell me about your feelings? Bill, I thought I thought that Gus would be more prepared. I th- but <clears throat> John Jones, he's in a he's in a league all of his own, man. I mean, roids or no roids, the guy is a fucking machine in there. Yeah, I I mean, regardless of how you feel about the guy, uh, obviously he's a piece of shit outside of the of the ring with all the things he's done and and been caught for and and you know whether you believe he was on steroids or not, uh, you know he was still sanctioned by an athletic commission in California, which is one of the more strict athletic commissions, and Alexander Gustafson still agreed to the fight and he showed a real technical prowess in there and a fight IQ. That's just immeasurable. I mean, he's just leagues ahead uh, of anybody else who gets in there, and there's no drug you can take uh, to simulate that or to emulate that. And what he did to Alexander Gustafson was just... I I can't even put it to words, because given how close the first fight was, and even though I I believe Jones won it uh, four rounds to one uh, or three to one or three to two at the least... um, you know, the way he dismantled Alexander Gustafson in this fight uh, was just masterful. Uh, I don't want to get too much into, you know, the Turina ball and, and the drug testing and tainted supplements. Um, if you're not up to speed on that, you know, you can go check out the last episode that Jeff and I did in person in New York City, episode 120. I know a lot of people probably didn't catch that one because it was the holidays we recorded on Christmas Eve, posted at Christmas Day. Um, Hope everybody had a great holiday, by the way. Um, The summary of it is basically USADA said that, you know, they cleared John Jones to fight because they said that when he tested positive, it was because of a tainted supplement and they couldn't figure out why it was still in his body. Now, apparently, whatever he tested positive for was just the remnants of whatever he tested positive for the last time that was due to a tainted supplement, which, you know, they they've said over and over again was the case. And, um, you know, they, they tried their best to 
I, I guess, you know, make people believe why this is okay. And I, I did PR for a long time, as a lot of you know, and, and it's very easy to manipulate people with numbers. But I think even with the numbers and the facts they were using, it, it was hard for the UFC to win people over with this one. Um, it's just, it, it's just too much, you know, it's, it, it's really a stretch to kind of believe this one, even though they had Jeff Nowitzki go on Joe Rogan and kind of explain it and use a lot of data and numbers. I didn't even listen to that um, because I, I pretty much knew what it was going to be. You know, a lot of people think Jeff Nowitzki still works for USADA. He doesn't, he's an employee of the UFC. He happens to be an expert on PEDs, uh, but don't get it twisted. It is not um, the anti-doping agency saying why it was okay for John Jones to fight. It's a former employee of the anti-doping agency who currently works for the UFC. He has an office in the UFC headquarters in Las Vegas. Um, so if you were swayed by that in any way, uh, uh, I guess, whatever. Uh, but it, at the end of the day, the fight happened. Athletic Commission athletic commission cleared it california which is one of the most stringent athletic commissions uh you know allowed it to happen they moved the event on six days notice uh and it took place and i think alexander gustafson is not the type to make any excuses you know he showed up prepared i don't think the move or any of the drama of the week affected him uh because he's just a warrior like that i think there's just a discrepancy in the skill level and I think uh, what the best part of John Jones's strategy were those low calf kicks, uh, which seemed to really damage Gustafson's legs. And I think allowed for the takedown uh, in the third round, which, which ultimately led to the finish. Um, and I, I had John Jones winning all three rounds of this fight. Uh, I, I know some people were saying that Gustafson took the first round. I don't really see how, uh, John Jones was moving backwards a lot, but he wasn't getting hit. Uh, you know, his his head movement and his boxing defense uh, were improved from the last time we saw him because even Cormier was able to tag him a couple of times in that last fight. Uh, and John Jones looked unhittable. And I don't see any reason uh, why anybody would score the first round for Gustafson. Jeff, even you said that John Jones won the first two rounds and and you were not rooting for him to, <laughs> to put it mildly. Uh, what did you think about the performance leading up to the finish? Um, dude, um, John Jones looked like you said, untouchable in there. He, um, he did such a good job in the first round of just not getting hit, um, staying just outside of Gustafson's boxing range, uh, using his kicks really effectively. And, um, every time they clinched up for whether it be a takedown or just a clinch, every time uh, they broke, John Jones would occupy the empty space with either an elbow, a knee, and Gus just couldn't keep up, man. I thought uh, Gus was going to make use of his uppercuts, and John Jones actually ended up hitting Gus with an uppercut, which was really nice. But, dude... Um, uh, Jones just made more use of the space between them. And uh, Gus, unfortunately, couldn't find a rhythm. Uh, in the second round, he did slightly better. But I just I, I couldn't see Jones losing any of the rounds that they did fight in. And like you said, I think the calf kicks really set up that very nice takedown in the, in the third round. And 
Gus was just not prepared. I don't think I think maybe he thought because of the first time they fought, he never got taken down and he was able to pop back up. I believe it was in the second round when Jones took him down. Um, so Gus just never prepared for Jones being on top of him. And we know that John Jones is a really good wrestler. He's a really good overall grappler. And I, I think that's Gus's mistake, man. He wasn't prepared for that. Uh, Jones made really good use of his ground and pound. And it looked to one point like he was going to actually get Gus in a rear naked choke. And instead, it, he was like, you know what? Forget that. I'm just going to punch this guy's lights out. Um, so, yeah, dude, as much as I dislike Jones as a person outside of the octagon, um, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that he's not a good fighter because he, he really is. He's. He's a fantastic fighter, man. Um, the way he was able to build habits in Gus, because uh, he would kick high, then kick low. So Gus never knew what to defend, what to block. And, um, you know, Jones, is he's uh, hes up there as one of the best, man. Yeah, for sure. And and definitely the cleanest jujitsu we've seen from John Jones, I think, out of all his performances. Obviously, he's had a lot of memorable submissions, but... They weren't really technical submissions, you know, like the way he choked out Leota Machida. That's not that's not really Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's just like a strong beast of a man, like strangling another man at, at standing up. Um, but what we saw on the ground from John Jones last night was really technical jiu-jitsu. The way he held Gustafson down in the half guard so that he couldn't get up on his hip uh, to shrimp. Uh, back out and recover his guard the way he passed his guard and kind of slithered over him like a snake uh, that that was the highest level jujitsu we've seen out of John Jones and we always knew he was a good grappler but you don't really associate John Jones with that type of traditional guard passing jujitsu so that was something new that we've seen from the toolbox of John Jones in that fight and just uh, so impressive overall um, you know, uh, lo love him or hate him. You, you have to acknowledge the guy's fight IQ, uh, the way he was able to, uh, pick Gustafson apart and go from high to low and looking in different directions and, you know, looking high and throwing a low kick and vice versa. Uh, the way he mixed it up in there, it was really just a masterful performance to watch. If you just take everything else out of it and, um, to just to put the, the steroid piece into perspective and how it really won't matter for John Jones's legacy outside of the hardcore MMA community. Uh, I was having dinner with a buddy of mine the other day. Who's what you would call a casual MMA fan. And he's like, Hey, there's a, there's a big fight going on this weekend. Right. And I told him, you know, everybody who's fighting and I told him the backstory of what happened. And he said, Oh, so he tested positive and they just moved it to California. Oh, okay. Uh, what time's the fight? <laughs> so it's <laughs> and, and that's uh, you know i know it pisses a lot of people off but that's that's the reality and you know there there is still a chance that john jones is going to test positive remember he has to also test again in california with usada and he also has to test with vada which is another um mandatory drug test with the california athletic commission i believe uh, they, I don't know if they put that clause in place to allow him to fight or what the case is, but he's going to be tested. Um, you know, if not last night, then 
today. So, you know, we may see another no contest on the record of John Jones still. So for those of you who are still really pissed off that he won last night, uh, there's still hope. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so if you put everything into perspective, you know, with the, the casual fans who are the ones that keep the sport going, you know, the hardcore fans, like people who listen to this show, for example, represent maybe 15% of people who are keeping this sport alive by buying pay-per-views and everything like that. Most people are just like, oh, there's a fight this weekend. Cool. Uh, yeah, let's have some people over and we'll order it. And, uh, you know, those are the people who matter in the long run because uh, they're the ones that are that are funding the UFC and allowing them to spend $6 million uh, moving an event <laughs> from Las Vegas to California, which uh, apparently was a sellout last night. Um, according to Dana White, total sellout. Um, I don't know if that includes the celebrities who were paid to be in attendance. Uh, <laughs> uh, they took a page out of Bellator's book there. I was actually... I, I was actually waiting to see, you know, who was going to show up. And, you know, they had like Halle Berry in there and Mick Foley and like all people that you never really <laughs> like what a what a collection of fucking <laughs> random people to have. <laughs> and, and of course, like every fighter in the area, there was like, you know, th there's like 600 guys on the UFC roster. I think the ones who weren't fighting were all in the first couple of rows. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know how valid. I don't know how valid that total sellout is. And every time they pan the crowd, there seem to be a lot of empty seats, but uh, you know what? Ho hopefully they make their money back. And I, I don't say that because I condone what they did in moving the event because of John Jones. I say that because I'm a fan of this sport. I don't want them to go bankrupt because then I'll be forced to watch Bellator. I might even have to subscribe to the zone, which is totally against my morals, but everything else aside, um, in my opinion, what we saw last night was a real milestone because we saw, in my opinion, the best male mixed martial artists on the planet uh, regain a title. And we saw the best female mixed martial artist uh, in history gain another title and become the first woman in MMA history to hold titles in two weight classes. Um, I'd say definitely the shock of the night was Amanda Nunez knocking out Christian Cyborg Santos cold in under a minute. Um, you, you know, we were saying last week, you, you and I were talking, Jeff, and I think a lot of the narrative was Amanda Nunez would have a better gas tank at 145 because she wouldn't be depleting herself so much. So maybe she could drag Cyborg out into those later rounds. And that's how... Uh, that would be her path to victory. I don't think anybody saw this coming, uh, but Amanda Nunez did, and <laughs> Nina Ansaroff did, uh, and that might be it. Uh, but, man, what a fucking performance by Amanda Nunez, just starching Cyborg uh, in under a minute. Uh, what was your reaction to this result, Jeff? Dude, I was utterly shocked. I was in disbelief, but man, I was excited. Dude, Nunez went in there, just wasn't even worried about Cyborg in the buildup, didn't seem worried. And Bill, I wasn't necessarily counting Nunez out, but 
Cyborg has just been so dominant, dude, that it was hard to really say that I could see her losing. And, dude, especially in that way, I thought this was going to go to a split decision or something. Um, I didn't realize how close in size they would be with Nunez coming up to 145. But also, she's a really big bantamweight, so um, she didn't look too much smaller than Cyborg. And I think... Dude, Cyborg just, she's never fought somebody who could match her in power. And because of that, she didn't respect Nunez's power at all, man. Uh, I feel like Ronda Rousey made the same mistake. Um, dude, she, I mean, Nunez just went in there, picked her apart. Um, she knows that Cyborg throws those big looping punches. So Nunez was coming right down the middle catching her clean every single time cyborg not moving her head at all but bill i love the respect at the end of this fight um cyborg understands you know that's part of the game um i know that neither of them wanted to fight another brazilian but i love the respect between them at the end and credit to nunez man she's beaten some of the top girls in there and she has gotten zero marketing in the build-up to this fight it happened against ronda rousey uh, but she's beaten ronda uh, I think Misha Tate, Holly Holm, uh, and now Chris Cyborg. That's a killer's row of female fighters, dude. I think Nunez, if if she wasn't the best of all time before, I, I think her name is in the ring now. I think that she's definitely earned her spot in the Hall of Fame someday. Oh, yeah, easily. Um, and I can't say I saw this coming, but it you know they say hindsight is twenty twenty. Looking back now, Cyborg was really emotional about this fight. Um, you know, she was upset from the minute Amanda Nunez called her out because she felt like, you know, they're Brazilians, they should stick together and they shouldn't be, you know, fighting. So she really took it personal when Amanda Nunez called her out. And I think there was a lot more emotion on Cyborg's side leading up to this. Uh, you know, if you saw the stare down at the weigh-ins, she was so intense. And then um, I, I've always said that the scariest Cyborg was the Cyborg who fought Holly Holm because she was so patient, she picked her shots, and she really showed that she has legitimate skills as a fighter. She's not just a brute who's bigger and stronger than everybody else. And if that cyborg showed up against Amanda Nunez, I think we would have had a very different result. But she went in there you know, trying to swing hard on Amanda Nunez, who is a brilliant counter-striker. Her timing was just unbelievable. And she dropped Cyborg twice and cyborg still was like you know it clicked that button in her where she said like oh man i gotta hit this bitch back and uh you know she just wasn't able to do that she wasn't able to figure out the timing of amanda nunez and there there wasn't enough time and uh the way she dropped her the you know the way the fight ended made it that much more epic yeah and you know <clears throat> it's um it's unfortunate in a way because I don't really know what's going to happen with this featherweight division because there's nobody else really in it. And you can't justify a rematch with Cyborg, at least not right away, because of the way this fight ended. It was so one-sided. But there's not really a contender in the division. Now, if Kat Zangano had won earlier in the night, it would be a different story because Kat has a win over Amanda Nunez. Uh, she knocked her out in 2014, I believe, at UFC 178. 
And, uh, you know, that would have been the next matchup to make. But now, you know, everything that happened with Kat Zangano and Megan Anderson's win wasn't really uh, legitimized. It wasn't like a highlight reel. And, you know, Megan's only one and one in the UFC. So I, I don't know what happens. I don't know if maybe Amanda Nunez goes back to 135 while they try and figure out uh, how to come up with a contender at 145 or if she just, you know, pulls a GSP and vacates it altogether. And then even at 135, um, there, there's not a whole lot uh, of contenders that you could really put her in there with that she hasn't already fought. You know, there's Jermaine Durandamy, but you can't really justify giving her a title shot because of all the, you know, bullshit with her. Um, so I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on the future of this uh, featherweight division for the for the females, Jeff? Dude, it's a really tricky situation because this whole division was built around signing Cyborg. And now she's been slain by Amanda Nunez. So it's really, really tricky, man. I mean, I like your idea of Nunez just going back down to 135 for a bit. Give this division a chance to, to, you know, build itself up. But at the same time, Bill, I think that the UFC, um, I, I think they, they kind of spread themselves too thin when it comes to women's MMA. Um, they've built about three new divisions in the last like three or four years, dude. And it's, it's tough, man. Uh, especially at 145. there's a lot of contenders at 115, 125, even 135. you can kind of work around. but um, at the same time, nobody was lining up to fight cyborg. Everybody was kind of scared of her. Um, so I don't know, maybe uh, people are a little bit more open to fighting Amanda Nunez because like you said, Katzengano's beat her before. So we've seen a little bit of a weakness to wrestling, especially uh, that high pressure, uh, wrestling that's like in your face, like a Colby Covington type wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, dude. It's a really tricky situation. Um, hopefully they bring in some fighters from Invicta, but I don't. I don't know. With Megan Anderson winning, it does. It does throw a monkey wrench into this. Yeah, I mean the only other name out there, um, you know, and everybody talks about how Amanda Nunez it isn't being marketed as well, but. Who are you going to put across from her that that people are familiar with? Because the only other name out there is Holly Holm. Now she's going to be fighting Aspen Ladd, uh, I believe, at UFC 235 in March. So uh, you know that fight happens. So Holly Holm won't be fighting again until summertime, uh, and she's the only other name out there really uh, for Amanda Nunez at at either weight class. Uh, so it's. It's a sticky situation. I mean, you can't take anything away from Amanda Nunez. Obviously, as it stands right now, she's the greatest female to ever do it. Uh, I don't. I don't think that you can really make an argument against that. You know, that's been the narrative ever since the end of her fight last night, and rightfully so. Uh, you know, the first female to ever hold two titles in two different weight classes. But um, you know, as of Two years ago, there were only two weight classes um, in the UFC. Anyway, uh, so it's still fairly, it's still a fairly new thing, you know. Um, when I think I brought this up last week when we had Colleen Schneider uh, 
um, Bellator bantamweight fighter on the show a couple of years ago, she had said that she really believes that women's MMA is about five years behind uh, the men. And, you know, we remember how rough it was in the beginning uh, for, well, a lot of us remember how rough it was in the beginning for the UFC. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, you see guys, the first guys who won in two different weight classes, you know, when they stuck around a little bit longer and the talent pool grew, uh, you know, we saw the result of that. We saw the result of that last night with BJ Penn uh, being submitted, you know, former two division champion BJ Penn, who's, you know, not even 40 years old, but I believe he's not even 40. Uh, you know, we saw it with uh, Ronda Rousey. She was so dominant early on and then the talent pool grew and it grew quickly. And I think it will continue to grow quickly. Um, but yeah, for sure. You can't take anything away from Amanda Nunez, just outstanding performance. And, you know, I, I really hope that uh, her legacy will stand up and, and hall of fame and everything that she deserves to have coming to her. Um, so <clears throat> if you're a hardcore fan of MMA, you're probably a fan of the natural born killer, Carlos Condit. And he's one of the most exciting fighters ever. In my opinion, uh, his days back in the WEC, he was a fucking savage and there's no way to not be a fan of the guy. If you saw him fight back then, but I haven't seen that Carlos Condit since his fight with Robbie Lawler, which was one of those fights that, you know, can kind of change a person. And, I think it really, I don't want to say extinguished, but it really dampened the fire for Carlos Condit. We just haven't seen that same fire in his eyes ever since that fight. And, uh, you know, I, I think the grappling deficiency is more of a mental thing because he is a very capable grappler, but we've seen him, you know, we saw Damian Maya melt right through him like a like a knife through hot butter and submit him in like 39 seconds or whatever it was. Uh, and, you know, obviously last night, Michael Chiesa, uh, once he got the fight to the ground, um, you know, Condit you know, put up a fight. You know, he had that one arm bar attempt that was really close to snapping Michael Chiesa's forearm. Uh, and you know, he was able to put up some offense off his back and stay out of bad situations. But, uh, that one arm Kimura by Kiesa, I gotta say, uh, was pretty devastating the way he, uh, you know, let go with one hand and used it for leverage to, to push Condit's wrist further behind his head. Um, that was nasty, man. I wouldn't be surprised if Condit has something torn in his shoulder. Give me your reaction to this fight, Jeff. Yeah, dude. Uh, you know, it started off really good for Condit. I felt like, yes, he did get taken down, and I felt like he was struggling a little bit on the feet. I think Kessa was getting uh, the better exchanges on the feet. But uh, once they hit the ground in that first round, Condit was throwing up a lot of offense. He's got a very active guard. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, he's got a very active guard. I felt like he was doing the right things. He was going for leg locks, too. Um, but dude, Michael Kessa just, it was, it was one of those, uh, like, um, Husamar Palharis submissions where he just overpowers you, man. Uh, like, it, it, like Kimuras are not meant to be technical. They are meant to devastate and use your power to, to really hurt your opponent. Mm -hmm. That's why I love them. But, uh, <laughs> but dude, um, I gotta say, I, I'm, you know, I don't think Condit loses any stock. 
um, you know, I, I, it's tough, man, because I'm. I'm I'm up there with you, but I'm a real fan of Carlos Condit. Um, I think he's so well-rounded, but it just feels like maybe the game has passed him by a little bit. I feel like he's not doing anything different from five or six years ago. Um, mind you, Michael Chiesa, dude looks great at welterweight. Um, he looked enormous. Like he, I, I felt like he was bigger than Condit. How this guy made 155, I have no idea, but... I want to I want to see him again at welterweight. I want to see what he can do because he didn't look weak. He didn't look slower. Um, he looked really really good at 170. Yeah, for sure. It, it seemed to be the theme of the night that people moving up in weight were doing well. Of course, Amanda Nunez and then uh, earlier on the car, Michael Chiesa. I like the matchup with Neil Magny. I think that's interesting. Uh, you know, Magny's somebody who's really. Uh, well-rounded he's got really great grappling but we've seen him get out grappled before you know we saw Rafael dos Santos manhandle him on the ground um I, i'd be interesting to see and he is a bigger um welterweight as well so it would be interesting to see that matchup i like that call out i like that fight um before that Corey anderson alir latifi eh. Um, you know, two very, very high level wrestlers, uh, that turned it into a fairly sloppy standup fight. Um, you know, the, the whole fight was basically Latifi trying to land a big bomb and Corey Anderson picking him apart from the outside. I thought it was a good performance by Corey Anderson. Um, and I forget who even called out at the end of it, but I remember being like, Oh, it was, uh, Anthony Smith he called out Anthony Smith. He's definitely not going to get that fight. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, okay. Uh, but whatever. Any, any reaction to this one, Jeff? Uh, I'm basically in the same boat as you. I think Corey Anderson, uh, fought smart. He fought the right fight against Latifi. Who's got, um, less reach and he's shorter. So I thought Anderson did a good job of using his jab, staying on the outside and just keeping Latifi from getting too close to use his wrestling effectively. So uh, I thought the decision went the right way. Yeah. I mean, I think the closest thing to a takedown was the first round when Latifi picked Corey Anderson straight up and Corey Anderson grabbed the top of the cage, um, which kind of went unnoticed by everybody. But in any case, um, what what I thought was going to be one of the best fights of the night, and it definitely was Alexander Volkanovsky and Chad Mendez. Um, I did not see this ending the way it did, um, but man, Volkanovsky just willed his way into victory here, knocking out Chad Mendez in the second round, which is no easy task. Uh, you know, Chad Mendez has an incredible chin. Uh, you know, if you look at the only people to ever beat Chad Mendez, it's just Jose Aldo, Frankie Edgar, Conor McGregor. I think. That's it. That's the list. So, uh, you know, Volkanovsky put himself in good company with that group. Um, I think Mendez got away from the game plan a little bit. Uh, and he had Volkanovsky rocked really bad in that second round. Like I thought, I thought it was basically over. Um, but then he got into a little bit too much of a brawl, which is not Chad Mendez's style. Uh, Chad Mendez is one of the best ever at mixing up his level changes with his strikes. Um, I, I would venture to say he's probably the best at that. The way he changes levels and comes back up with a strike or comes back up with a feint to a power strike uh, is just really beautiful to watch. And you can see that 
the evidence of that in his last fight. Uh, but Volkanovsky, man, what a tough son of a bitch. He said he's not going to be able to hold me down. He, you know, he stayed true to that. Uh, Mendez was able to hold him down a little bit longer in the second round. Um, but, yeah, he gets taken down, and he's he's getting right back up. Uh, and that's something that's really hard to deal with. Uh, and then on the feet, he could hang in there with anybody. I don't think he's ready for that Max Holloway fight just yet. But um, he definitely threw his name in the hat here. What was uh, What were your thoughts about this one, Jeff? Dude, I disagree with you a little bit. I don't think Mendez um, did too much wrong, actually. I think that Volkanovski just fought smarter. Mm -hmm. uh, in that first round, he was landing a lot of shots to Mendez's body, and you could see in that second round, he was taking some deep breaths, man. So I think that uh, Volkanovski just had a better game plan. I think that uh, those body shots really depleted Mendez, and they affected his wrestling, man. Um and, you know, he was thinking a lot about those body shots, especially in that second round. And uh, the combination that won it, I think, was a, sh a kick to the body, to, like, the liver area. And then uh, it was an overhand left or right, right on the temple. So um, Volkanovsky, I, th I think he's just a really good fighter, showed really good uh, intelligence in there against Mendez. And like you said, man, he's a tough dude. I thought Mendez had him... Uh, finished once or twice, actually. It looked like he rocked Volkanovski. Um, dude, I, I like this kid, man. Uh, he's good. Mendez, like you said, a really, really tough guy. Does not lose to too many people. Uh, I think he's a little underrated sometimes um, because he uh, he has really evolved in his striking over the past couple of years. So this is a huge feather in Volkanovski's cap. Um, I don't see him getting Holloway anytime soon. I'd like to see him fight maybe a Ricardo Lamas or um, a Dennis Bermudez, somebody who's a little bit closer to his rank and is really going to challenge him, especially in the grappling. Jeremy Stevens. I would love to see Volkanovski and Jeremy Stevens. I know uh, Jeremy's got a fight coming up, but that would be fucking awesome. Another one I'd like to see is Josh Emmett and mm. Volkanovski. Um, you know, somebody who's going to stand up with him and really showcase that um, that striking ability of his. Um, but yeah, great performance by Volkanovski. I mean, I think he definitely made his name for himself off of that one. Uh, he had the most polite call out ever <laughs> of Max Holloway. <laughs> I think he said no disrespect six or seven times uh, in his call out of him. Uh, he's not going to see that fight, um, but I, I am definitely looking forward to seeing him fight again. Chad Mendez, rumor going around that he's retired. Hopefully that's not true. Um, uh, he's always been one of the most exciting fighters to me. Um, I, I really love his style. Um I'm a little biased as a short, stocky wrestler myself. Um, but, <laughs> you know, those team alpha male guys, they, they always kind of, you know, tug at the heartstrings a little bit for, uh, for personal physical attribute reasons. Uh, <laughs> in any case, uh, Walt Harris getting it done over Andre Arlovsky. Um, th this fight was not as bad as Nganu versus um, Derek Lewis, but it was close. I mean, and one judge gave it to Arlovsky 30-27. I don't know what the fuck they were watching. Um, but it was close because the last two rounds they just kind of they just kind of stared at each other and um, <laughs> whatever. I this was just you know, this was a time to um to make yourself a snack or go grab another beer. Um I was I started only half paying attention 
to this fight halfway through. And I'm a big fan of Andre Orlovsky. And I think Walt Harris has a ton of potential, but uh, I don't think he, I think he was respecting Orlovsky too much here. And that's what that came down to. Any thoughts on this one, Jeff? Um, I think that for Walt Harris was the eye poke thing that he got reprimanded for. I think that kind of made him shut down a little bit. But other than that, um, I, I can't tell you much about this fight, Bill. The last round, I was grading papers. So Nice. Nice. All right. Well, if you want to talk about eye pokes, let's get into Megan Tow Truck Anderson <laughs> and Cat uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um So this fight uh, ended a, a little over a minute into the fight, um, and it was because Megan Anderson kicked Cat Zingano in the face. If you missed this one because it was uh, – this was still on the prelims and her toe penetrated the eyeball of Kat Zingano. And it looked like um, from the pictures I saw afterwards, it looks like her toenail went into the white of the eye and then came out the bottom of her eyelid. Um, and you know, Kat Zingano is tough as nails, but she turned her back and, and ran to the other side of the cage at which point Mark Goddard should have stopped the fight. Um, but you know, he said continue and then he let Megan Anderson punch her a couple of times while she's got her eyes closed for some reason. Um, you know, she's got both of her eyes closed. She's not even facing her opponent and you say, keep fighting. Um, that, that was a bad call by, by Mark Goddard there. I, I understand letting it keep going because it was a legal strike. Um, but there's no reason to let her punch a girl with her eyes closed. Um, and, you know, it, it's one of those things where even Kat Zangano was trying to make the case, like, what do you guys think about, you know, a toe poke as compared to an eye poke? I mean, it's it's apple and apples and oranges. I mean, it, it was a freak accident. It's not like she tried to poke her in the eye with her toe. Like, I don't think you could even do that to somebody if you tried. Um, it, you know, it's just one of those things. It was a legal strike. She wasn't able to continue. It's a TKO. Um you know, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else you say about it. I mean, it, it's not like it was an impressive win for, for, uh, Megan, given the way it ended. I don't know if they'll have to run this one back or what, but you know, she kicked her and, and she couldn't finish. That's, that's the long and short of it. So, um, I don't know. What were your thoughts on this, uh, freak accident, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, it sucks, but you know, it is what it is, unfortunately. Um, I, you know, I love Katzengano, but I feel like if she had not been running backwards, maybe that wouldn't have happened. If she had just like checked the kick with her arm or something, she'd be okay. Um, but yeah, dude, it's it's one of those things that happens. It's a freak accident. I do think that Mark Goddard messed up though. Um, I'm a big fan of Mark Goddard. I think he's a really good referee. Um, cause I was watching this fight with my dad and he even, my dad was like, why did he keep punching her? Why did she keep punching, uh, the girl? Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, and Megan Anderson was just doing her job. Uh, that's really on the ref. It, he's the one who messed up. Um, but yeah, dude, we got to call him like we see him. And as much as I love Mark Goddard, uh, he definitely messed up on this one. 
Um, but I was checking uh, Twitter last night, and Kat Zingano's okay. Um, the UFC doctor on call on uh, staff was able to take care of her, so she didn't have mm-hmm. to go to the hospital or anything. Uh, so I can't wait to see these girls back in there. They're both really good fighters, and it just sucks that the fight uh, ended the way it did. Uh, I really wanted to see a good contest between these two. Yeah, it would have been interesting, especially because uh, Kat Zingano is so aggressive, which is the the best way to counter someone who has such long limbs like Megan Anderson. And I think if it had gone to the ground, um, it would have been trouble for me and who got out grappled by Holly Holm, who's not known for her grappling. Um, but yeah, at the same time, it would be nice to see Megan Anderson with an impressive performance because then you could have an actual contender who's a legit 145 pounder. Of course, Katz and Ghana was moving up for this fight as well um, because that seems to be, you know, the only way to get featherweight fights is to get bantamweights to move up at this point. Um, but hopefully that changes. Uh, Peter Yan looked really good against um, Douglas Silva de Andrade. Uh, Peter Yan is Russian. He's got a Chinese last name. And he's got red hair. This guy, if he did 23 and me, it, it would look like a pie chart with a thousand slices. Like, <laughs> just, or they would just send him back like a picture of the globe. Like, um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> here uh but uh peter yan looked really impressive last night and he put the beat down on andrage to the point where andrage's corner had to stop the fight in between the second and third round so credit to his corner there you know a lot of corners get um you know get picked on a lot lately for not stopping fights they did the right thing and it looked like Andrade agreed. He was in the corner. He was like, there's nothing I can do. I can't figure this guy out. Um, so yeah, a real force for, uh, the bantamweight division Peter Yan. I, I mean, he's looked really good, uh, since coming to the UFC, he's three, and zero in the UFC now, um, at just a really standout performance, just beat the fuck out of Andrade in the last couple of seconds of that round. Really, you know, put a, put an exclamation point, on that second round and uh, you know, his corner had no choice but to throw in the towel. So uh, credit to Andrade's corner uh, for, for making that decision there. Um, thoughts on that one, Jeff? Yeah, dude, I thought Peter Jan brutalized Silva de Andrade. Um, and dude, I, you got to give credit to Peter Jan because he is a stand-up fighter, but you can tell he understands the ground game too. A lot of his transitions were really smooth. Mm-hmm. He was, he was basically every time Silva de Andrade moved, Peter Jan moved with him so that he'd stay on top. It was like watching somebody surf and and just ride the wave, man. So uh, credit to Jan. He has a very deep knowledge of the ground game, despite maybe, you know, not sure. Tra- I don't know how much grappling he trains, but um, maybe he doesn't win a jujitsu competition. But um, he definitely has an understanding, at least from the top, of the ground game, which I, I really do appreciate. So Peter Jan, um, I'm going to keep an eye out for him because he, he has a very deep understanding of fighting as a whole. And you could see that last night, man, uh, Silva de Andrade looked lost in there at one point. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, really impressive performance by Peter Jan. Um, uh, and speaking of ground transitions, Ryan Hall, uh, and BJ Penn. This was an odd fight when it was announced. Uh, I I just don't know what to say about BJ Penn continuing to get in there. Um, you know, he hasn't won a fight since 2010. 
November 2010, he he knocked out Matt Hughes in 21 seconds. And that's the way I would like to remember BJ Penn's legacy. But unfortunately, he seems dead set on, I guess, retiring with a 500 record because now he's 16 and 13. So it, it gets to be like, how do you make a case for this guy as one of the greatest to ever do it, which I still believe in his prime he was. Um, but, you know, at a certain point, the, the game just passes you by. Um, now, all that being said, I think this was a really impressive performance by Ryan Hall because, yeah, BJ Penn hasn't won in almost a decade. Yeah, he is 40 years old, which I I think I said earlier he was not yet 40. He is 40. Um, I had to look that one up. But um, he had never been submitted in MMA. And Ryan Hall really showing the level of Brazilian jiu-jitsu he has. And that leg lock game is just... It's something scary, man. It's not something you see a whole lot in MMA because it's really easy to get punched in the face when you're going for leg locks because you have to use both your hands and that leaves your face open and you get punched in it and it hurts. <laughs> um, but Ryan Hall, you know, he just locks it up so quickly and so slick. Um, you know, it's just like, it, it just clicks right into place immediately for him. And it, I, I can't really describe to anyone who hasn't grappled before, you know, the level of skill and the amount of drilling you have to do uh, to make something look so seamless the way he did against, um, you know, BJ Penn. You know, they call him the prodigy because he got his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt in three years, uh, which is unheard of. Um, and it was deserved at the time. He was winning world championships after doing uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for only three years. But, you know, that was a long time ago. So big credit to Ryan Hall for being the first person to ever submit BJ Penn with a nasty heel hook. And BJ uh, tried to roll out of it the wrong way, which cranked even more pressure on his knee. Um, and that that was just making me cringe, man. That must have hurt really bad. Uh, he, he may have some ligament damage in his knee there. Uh, give me your thoughts on Ryan Hall here, Jeff. Bill, I have an opinion on heel hooks. Heel hooks are no fun. Heel hooks hurt someone. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, dude, if you've never been in a heel hook, for those of you listening, thank your lucky stars because heel hooks, the, the, oh my God, the pain comes on so quick. It's mm -hmm. really easy to hurt someone if you've never heel hooked someone before. Um, you know, in the, in, in a lot of jujitsu gyms, Especially if you're training with like a white belt, there's like a no heel hook policy. Uh, once you get into the higher belts, you can do that. But even then, it's kind of frowned upon. But dude, Ryan Hall, a vicious leg game, dude. Um, and the way he took BJ down and just immediately wrapped up his leg was it was like a python squeeze. Um, mm -hmm. I know that you said that BJ rolled the wrong way, but the way Ryan Hall had him... I don't think he could have rolled the other way without some discomfort as well. Yeah. Um, it, it, like I said, it was like a Python squeeze. Like BJ Penn had nowhere else to go. Um, but that's just a credit to Ryan Hall. You know, he's got good jujitsu, but man, I cannot get behind this guy, Bill. I don't like that. He, he only takes fights that'll make him get off the couch as you've put it before. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, he's only, he's only like seven and two or something. So it's like, 
to me, it's like, it's a little bit smug. It's like, listen, I get it. You're a good grappler, but you haven't done that much in MMA yet. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why you get to pick and choose your fights. Um, you know, maybe he doesn't need money. I know he's got his 50-50 gym, but there's there's a smugness about him that I don't really like, Bill. Yeah, it, and I mean, it was actually his, his first submission in the UFC, if you don't count uh, the Ultimate Fighter, which I don't because those are technically uh, exhibitions. Um, but yeah, and the whole heel hook thing, uh, I'm against teaching it to white belts as well, too. For the reason that we saw with BJ Penn last night, we saw a guy who's been a black belt for 20 years um, roll the wrong way. And it, when you roll the wrong way, you could tear your own knee in half. Uh, and that's the danger uh, of going for these moves. Um, you know, personally, I have to trust somebody a lot uh, to even attempt these kind of leg locks um in training and stuff and you know they're dangerous uh, because you you tear somebody's acl you know they're not doing anything for like a year year and a half um uh, hopefully that wasn't the case last night but yeah i i would like to see somebody get in there and challenge ryan hall from what i understand nobody really wants to fight him um but you know i would like to see you know somebody call him out like uh, Personally, I'd like to see Brian Ortega and Ryan Hall. I think that would be fun. <laughs> I think that would be fun because, like, um, you know, Ortega is really adept on the ground. I don't know what his leg leg lock game is like, but um, y- you know, that's somebody that'll get in Ryan Hall's face and and punch him. Which he's got a punchable face. He's just got <laughs> he's just got like one of those faces that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in any case, uh, moving on down, I don't know how much you saw of the uh, fight pass prelims, but man, they were all phenomenal fights. Uh, Nathaniel Wood uh, just taking out Andre Ewell, systematically uh, beating the shit out of him with fundamentals uh, for three rounds until finally getting the rear naked choke at the end of round three. Um, Andre Ewell, you know, flashy guy. Uh, you know, we saw... We saw a lot of promise from him in his UFC debut against Hennon Barrow. Uh, you know, he was able to win a split decision at, after like just coming into the UFC, and that was super impressive. But, you know, he's a flashy guy and he uses flashy moves. And we saw Nathaniel Wood uh, display that fundamentals beats flashiness, um, you know, 99 out of 100 times. Uh, you know, just really crisp fundamentals, straight punches. And, um, you know, out grappled him too with very, uh, fundamental grappling. And he even said, I'm not a grappler, but you know, I, I knew that it was the safer way to win the fight. And he, he choked Andre Ewell out, uh, thoughts on this one, Jeff. Unfortunately, I didn't watch any of the early prelims, but, uh, I'm definitely going to go back and check some of these out. I really want to see the Uriah Hall fight and the Brian Kelleher fight as well. So Bill, after the show, I'm going to go back and check these out. Nice. Yeah, definitely do. Uh, every fight on these uh, early prelims was great. So I'll, I'll just kind of give a brief recap of everything here. Uriah Hall was getting the shit beat out of him for two rounds by Bayvon Lewis. And, um, he, you know, I said last week, Uriah Hall likes to sp- play spoiler. Uh, every time you try and put this guy out of his misery, uh, he wakes up and 
and, and he does so with a vengeance. And he did that against Bevon Lewis, who, you know, came off the contender series. I think he was eight and zero uh, going into this fight, but you know, experience prevailed, and he was beating the fuck out of Uriah Hall early in this fight. I mean, the first and second rounds were probably 10, eight rounds for Bevon Lewis. And then Uriah Hall came out of nowhere, uh, with a single punch that, that knocked Bevon Lewis out cold. Um, he was, he was out for a really long time, a disturbing amount of time. Um, uh, but that's just the kind of fighter he is, you know, Uriah Hall, I was there live when when he had the comeback victory over Gegard Mousasi and you know the spinning kick uh, that knocked him out after getting dominated in the first round. It's not something you want to be known for, you know, like uh, Darren Elkins or something like that. You know, being able to, or like Homer Simpson, just being able to take <laughs> a guy's best shots early in the fight and then wait for him to tip over uh, at the end, but. Oh, God damn, is it impressive. Um, uh, another fight which I thought could have been on the main card, Curtis Millinder and Sayar bah Zara. Um, This fight, two very high-level strikers with two very different styles. So Bahadazada, Bahadazada, Bahadazada. All right, I got it that time. <laughs> Bahadazada uh, is the power striker who has very crisp technique. And Millinder is more of a Muay Thai striker, throws a lot more kicks. And, you know, he was able to keep uh, Bahada Zara at a, diff at a distance. Wow, I'm messing up other words. Thanks, Sayar. <laughs> <laughs> ruining my diction today <laughs> with these tongue twister names. All right. So, in any case, it was the power striker versus the more technical Muay Thai striker and Millinder coming away with the victory here. But this is a really interesting technical matchup. And, um, you know, Millinder was able to, to keep Bahadur Zada at a distance. I got it that time uh, <laughs> with the kicks and uh, coming away with the, with the decision. But uh, it was a really, really intriguing fight. And then the first fight of the night, the curtain jerker, if you will, Montel Jackson submitting Brian Kelleher in a minute, 40 seconds. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. Brian Kelleher, one of these guys that he, you know, came out guns blazing and came on the scene and he looked really promising. Uh, you know, he beat Hannon Burrell. He had that epic fight with John Lineker where he got knocked out right at the end. Um, and, and, uh, I don't know, man, it, it just, uh, it just kind of fizzled out last night. I mean, he got bumped down to the, to the prelims. I think he was fighting on the main card against Lineker. Um, at, that was at UFC 224. And now first fight on the prelims. And then he gets submitted in a minute, 40 seconds. Not looking good for Brian Kelleher. But if you missed those fight pass uh, prelims, definitely go back and watch. Uh, overall, just a, a phenomenal card, really. Um, you know, you had a lot of prospects. You had a lot of upsets. Um you had submissions, you had knockouts. It's everything you could want out of a UFC card. Um, I mean, unless you hate John Jones, then it was <laughs> not everything you could hope for out of a UFC card, um, which, you know, it, it's interesting too, because there's so much, there was so much hate for John Jones uh, leading up to this. Um, you would think that kind of pressure would crack somebody, you know, when you know, like the whole fight community hates your guts and you know, every fighter on the card hates your guts because uh, it's your fault 
you know, whether it was intentional or not, or whatever you believe there, it's your fault that the card was moved and all these fighters have to pay California state tax now. And they had to pay for, uh, new medicals and, um, you know, all the fans hate you because they, they, they got their ticket refunded, but not their flights and hotels that they booked to come watch this fight. Um, you're really hated <laughs> and that's got to wear on somebody mentally. And the fact that he was able to come in and put on the performance that he did, um, it really says a lot to his mental toughness. Um, and it says a lot to your mental toughness. If you're able to tune into the PFL tomorrow night, new year's Eve, I don't know what everybody has going on, but, um, this is gonna, I'm kind of thinking about this now because I know what a shit show it is in new york city on new year's eve and this fight's taking place at madison square garden like just the logistics of getting all the fighters there like they're gonna have to get there they're gonna have to get to the garden at like eight in the morning to just just to make sure they get there on time because if they leave at if they try to get there at 8 30 they're not gonna make it for <laughs> for the main part <laughs> new york city is a fucking shit show on new year's eve i wouldn't want to be caught dead anywhere near madison square garden on that night but um it's interesting to me and it kind of sucks that the PFL kind of fizzled out. Um, you know, even us at this show, we were hyping this thing up so much, uh, in the early rounds earlier in the year and the million dollar tournament and the point system and everything was so new and exciting and it kind of lost its luster a little bit. And now, uh, you had a lot of big names in the beginning and none of them made it to the finals. So it's, it's a tough sell, man. Uh, you know, it, the main event is, is Ray Cooper the third who people even hardcore fans only know him now as the guy who beat Jake Shields twice um to to advance in this tournament uh you know some interesting fights on here Vinny Magalhaes and Sean O'Connell and it, you know there's a million dollars on the line in every one of these fights and then also Kayla Harrison is um is uh fighting again um I don't know, Jeff. Are you are you getting off the couch for this one? Are you gonna Ryan Hall it, or are you uh, <laughs> or are you gonna just uh, go out and booze it up for New Year's? What's the plan? Yeah, I'm probably gonna Ryan Hall ass to a New Year's Eve party that I got invited to. Um, <laughs> dude, um, oh man, the PFL just they picked such a bad time, dude. Um, yeah. You know, I would have loved to gone and like watch this in person, but then I'd probably have to, like you said before, um, I'd probably have to stay in New York at like the Hotel Pennsylvania or something. And dude, it's just it's it's not wise. I want to be nowhere near the city, man. Yeah, um, good luck getting a hotel in New York City this weekend. Yeah, screw that, dude. I'd rather um, I got invited to a New Year's Eve party. I'm gonna see if I can watch it there, but. Yeah, just uh, poor timing, PFL. Just poor timing. Have it next yeah. weekend. It, they might have had better luck competing with uh, John Jones Gustafson because, especially with the events of this past week, they could have come out and said, "Hey, uh, you know, we have a free event going on at the same time," and um, you know, maybe they would have been able to draw a few eyes. Uh, I don't know if I'm gonna watch. I don't know if I'm gonna watch this live. I'll DVR it. I'll watch it you know, New Year's Day, maybe in the morning when I have my coffee. In any case, speaking of boozing it up for New Year's, I want to share this with you, Jeff. This was a Christmas gift from my uh, sister and soon-to-be brother-in-law. Uh, it was Whiskey of the Year by uh, some publication. 
that talks about whiskey and the name's escaping me right now, but it's a uh, Michter small bash, small batch, original sour mash. And, um, basically it's a 50% corn, 50% rye. So it's a bourbon rye hybrid. And it's really interesting because it has that sweetness to it, um, on the nose. And then when it hits the palate, it has that sweetness, that kind of caramelly bourbon sweetness. And then, uh, as it, as the flavor kind of settles in, you get like a black pepper and like that spiciness from the rye. And then it has like a really strong burn on the way down. So, um, I, I like this over, uh, an ice cube or two and it, it's really smooth. I was sipping on some of this, uh, during the fight card last night. So Michter's small batch sour mash, um, you know, fairly strong, uh, whiskey. It's an 86 proof, but, um, it, it's, it's got really complex flavors to it. You know, you could, you could sit and, uh, you can write down a whole list of flavors. I won't bore you with the tasting notes. Um, because I didn't write any of them down. I just, it's with me. It's like, Oh, this is good. I really like this. I would buy another bottle of it. Or it's like, this is okay. I'll finish this bottle. <laughs> pretty much how my whiskey reviews go <laughs> but i do like this one uh the the bourbon rye blend is uh is really interesting um jeff you've been uh sipping on anything since since we had those irish beers uh about a week ago uh let me think here no actually um just the harp i've been trying to take it a little bit easier on the beer uh it does have a lot of carbs but um just the harp dude uh delicious um, carbs yeah uh the harp i dude i love irish beers uh love guinness harp smithix is a really good one mm. um but i'll tell you what i will be sipping on new year's eve i decided to go with uh what's kind of become uh I, i'd say we both like it i'm gonna probably go with a uh proper 12 Ooh. i think i'm gonna take some to this new year's eve party you know i don't like to go anywhere empty-handed bill yeah, yeah. You can't go anywhere empty-handed. That's uh that's that's a real uh faux pas for a party. I I always feel the same way. If I if I'm invited somewhere, I got to show up with something like even if I'm going to be drinking it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the plan is if nobody else wants it, I could just have the whole bottle myself. Yeah, and then you just like leave whatever is left or or leave the empty bottle. I don't know. Um <laughs> Yeah, so uh, some non-MMA uh, related things. I saw one of our favorite comedians live in Tampa a couple of nights ago, Sebastian Maniscalco. Um, that was a Friday night, and that was an awesome show. Uh, he's fucking hilarious, man. Uh, I, and his his material is nothing like out of the ordinary. It's basic like observational humor, really. But uh, his delivery just gets me. It just get gives me that like guttural laugh where it like I feel it in my stomach, um, and that's how I felt the first time I saw his his uh, Netflix special. Um, so went to see him. Another comedian opened up for him, Pete Corielli. They do a podcast together, um, which is uh, you know pretty good. Um, I, I I tune in every now and then when I'm taking a break from the MMA podcast, but um, awesome show. And I, I believe he has a new Netflix special coming out uh next month and uh, i'm looking forward to that even though i just saw him live but um he's been to tampa a bunch of times so he kind of incorporated a lot of jokes about 
Tampa, which uh, which was pretty hilarious. Um, he talked about Ebor City when he's like, "Is this mm-hmm. still a shit house?" <laughs> 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 which um, you know, if, if you've ever been to the Tampa area and spent any time in Ebor, you know, it can be quite a shit house, especially on the weekends. Um, some scary stuff goes on around there uh, that uh, we shouldn't talk about. Yeah. Uh, in any case, uh, this is it, Jeff. New year, new me is what you're going to be hearing from a lot of people in the next couple <laughs> of weeks. But fuck all that here. Um, I made a resolution to never make another resolution. Uh, I did that about 12 years ago, and I've stuck to it. Uh, <laughs> so I, I don't. I don't uh, buy into all that shit, but you know, good luck going to the gym when it's going to be packed for the next couple of weeks, everybody. And uh, happy new year. Hope everybody, you know, has a good time tomorrow night. Uh, Be safe, make good decisions or or don't. It doesn't really affect my life uh, one way or the other, because I'm I'm not going to be out there in public. I'm going to be home because I have a almost one-year-old um anyway jeff uh happy new year my man and uh enjoy the party enjoy the whiskey and enjoy life all right that's all we got for this week until next year cheers everybody goodbye <laughs>